Hello and welcome. I am your true crime obsessed mum, Amy, and this is episode two. So last week's episode was a bit gory and gruesome, so I decided to do an episode this week. It wasn't so much gore, but it's still not a very nice case. I mean, spoiler alert, but there isn't going to be any episodes of this podcast that's going to be nice. But yeah, it's not as gory as last week's. So this week's podcast is about Diane Downs. Diane Downs was born Elizabeth Diane Fredrickson. She was born on August the 7th, 1955 in Phoenix, Arizona. Now, up until the age of 14, Diane followed the conservative values of her family. But when she turned 14, she she just switched. I mean, I was just saying, once I turned that age, I turned rebellious, and so did Diane. Now, this is when she dropped Elizabeth from her name and just became Diane. Diane went to Moon Valley High School, and it was at a high school that she met Steve Downs. Now, Diane and Steve started a relationship in high school, despite Diane's parents disapproving. But when they left high school, they went in different directions. Diane attended the Pacific Coast Baptist College in Orange, California, but Steve was enlisted to the Navy. Now, they decided... they decided to try a long-distance relationship but Diane would cheat on Steve several times she was actually even expelled from the college she was attending because of her lewd behavior because of her promiscuity promiscuity whatever the word is (laughs) so she went back to live with her parents in Phoenix. Now, Diane and Steve remained together, despite the fact that Diane was just sleeping around continuously. And they actually eloped and got married in November the 13th, 1973. Diane was very promiscuous and was just constantly having affairs and cheating on Steve. Now, this behaviour of Diane, coupled with financial issues that the couple was having, their marriage wasn't going too great, and Diane ended up going back to her parents. However, she found out that she was pregnant, so she moved back in with Steve, and they had Christy Ann in 1974. They then went on to have Cheryl Lynn in 1976. At this point, Steve had a vasectomy because he didn't want any more than two kids. And Diane was still seeing other men behind his back. Diane would fall pregnant again, even though Steve had had a vasectomy. Steve didn't want to raise a child that wasn't his own, so he did talk down. Um, sorry, he talked Diane into having an abortion. Diane agreed and went ahead with the abortion, but she did name the child first. Um, 
I'm not sure what she named the child, but to me, it's a bit strange to name a child that you're about to go ahead and abort. But I suppose people do whatever works for them. But for me personally, it's a bit of a weird thing to do. In 1978, they moved to Mesa in Arizona. Now, the pair started working at a mobile home manufacturing company. And Diane continued to have affairs with their co-workers. And it wasn't long before she fell pregnant again. And she refused to have an abortion this time. She said, I can't can't go through it again. We're having this child. And gave birth to Stephen Daniel Downs, or otherwise known as Danny, in 1979. Now, Steve obviously knew that Danny wasn't his child, but he accepted him anyway. But despite this, in 1980, Diane and Steve would finally get a divorce. Diane did try to reconcile with Steve, but while she was trying to save her marriage and get back with Steve, she was still having a string of affairs at the same time. So Steve was just not having any of it. He did stay a part of the kids' life and the kids would share time between Diane, Diane's parents, Steve and Danny's dad as well would also have the kids while Diane worked. Now, Diane didn't really have much of an income at this point. So she decided to become a surrogate. Now, when you become a surrogate, you've got to go through all these tests. It isn't just a case of you saying, I want to be a surrogate, and I'm saying yes. There's all different things that you need to do to make sure that you're right for surrogacy. Now, this is late 70s, early 80s, so the process is likely to have changed. But she went through two qualifying psychiatric exams in order to become a surrogate and both exams suggested that Diane was intelligent but psychotic and even though these exams suggested that nothing was done about it I can't help feeling that in today's in today if you had these tests that said that you'd get a follow-up phone call at least but nothing was done about it and in fact, in 1981, some neighbours would report that the children were not being taken care of while they were with Diane. But towards the end of 1981, Diane did get an offer for surrogacy, even though she failed both qualifying psychiatric exams. And even though they said that she was psychotic, they still offered her surrogacy. She gave birth to a girl in May 1982. This made Diane want to launch a surrogacy clinic, but it didn't really get anywhere and it just totally failed. Now, it was around this time that Diane would start an affair with a co-worker called Robert Knickerbocker, or otherwise known as Nick Knickerbocker. Diane would constantly nag Nick about leaving his wife because now she wasn't married, 
she didn't want to be Nick to be married either. She was infatuated with Nick. But because Diane kept nagging him about leaving his wife and Nick had no intentions to do so, he soon called it off with Diane. And Diane moved back to Oregon. But at this point, she was totally and utterly obsessed with Nick. It wasn't lust or love as such. It was an obsession. Diane would try to win Nick back on several occasions. But Nick told Diane that he didn't want to play any part of being daddy to her children. And Diane would say to him, you know, that he he wouldn't be asked to do anything with the kids. He'd never be left alone with them. And, you know, there'd be a completely separate thing to them as a couple. And Nick was still not having any of it. On May the 19th in 1983, Diane would turn up at hospital with Cheryl dead. Christy and Danny with severe gunshot injuries and herself with a gunshot injury to her arm. Now, Diane would say that they were round a friend's house that night and it got late, so she decided to drive the kids home. Now, she'd say that part of what the kids and her liked to do was to take paths that they'd never been down before to explore. And she thought that being late at night with all three kids, this would be a perfect time to turn down a path that they'd never been down before. Near Springfield in Oregon, a man would get Diane to stop the car. He asked Diane for keys at gunpoint. And when Diane refused, she'd say that he shot her kids and then went to shoot her, but just got arm. And then the second time, he would miss completely. This is when Diane would pretend to throw the keys out the window at him. And when he went to get him, Diane would put her foot on the pedal and drive like a maniac to the hospital to try and save her children that were bleeding in the back seat. Christy was left with a stroke and was totally unable to communicate. Cheryl, as I said, unfortunately, was dead upon arriving at the hospital. And Danny was left totally paralysed. Diane just had a slight wound on her arm. And when she went to the hospital, she had like a bandage sling thing on her arm but all three kids had no attempt to stop the bleeding or anything it was just her that had some form of bandage now people weren't really buying this story the staff at the hospital and the investigators that then turned up wasn't getting it at all and Diane was just too calm for somebody that had just had the kids shot and one kid's dead and another one totally paralysed and she was way, way too calm. Now, here is a clip of an interview that she did because she did lots and lots and 
lots of interviews about this, trying to get the man who shot her kids. And this is one interview she did not long after it happened that will just show you how cold and how calm she is when she's talking about it. I guess sightseeing, I guess you'd say. And the kids got tired, they fell asleep in the car, so I decided to just head on home. But I saw a road I hadn't been on before. We liked to take back roads. We just went down that road, and there was a guy standing in the road, lagging me down, so I stopped. Everything was done in a matter of five or ten seconds. He swung himself around and fired twice. One caught me in the arm, the other one I went off somewhere. Danny cried the whole way. I could hear him softly just moaning, and Christy was dying. God, all the blood, all the pain. This man shot my daughter. My first reaction was to snap back to my childhood, to the pain that had happened to me back then, my marriage, my entrapment by society. This man was bigger than me. He was stronger than me. He had more power because he had a gun. And I stood there and I looked at Christy reaching and the blood that just kept gushing out of her mouth and... and See, to me, that doesn't sound like a mother who is distraught and upset and devastated. She's just... It just sounds like she's totally shut off and doesn't really care. Well, there was blood in Diane's car, but there wasn't any blood at all on the driver's seat. And there was no gunpowder residue found on the driver's panel. So if she was sat in the driver's seat when the man shot her, there should have been blood from her wound somewhere on the seat and you'd expect gunpowder residue on the driver's panel as well. But there was nothing. There was blood on the passenger seat, even though Diane claimed that all three kids were in the back and there was blood in the back as well. But there was no blood where Diane was sat. She also concealed from the investigators that she owned a 22 calibre handgun. Both Steve and Nick knew that she had this gun, but Diane didn't mention it and just kept quiet about it, which raised suspicions. Also, Diane claimed that once she managed to pretend to throw the keys out of the car to get this madman away from the car, she claimed she put her foot to the pedal and raced to the hospital like a maniac to try and save her kids. But there is a witness who ended up driving behind Diane that night. And they said that Diane was driving so slowly that they had to overtake her. So this mad, crazy man has just shot her kids. She doesn't know how injured they are, whether they're even alive or not. And yet she's driving so slowly to the hospital that people are overtaking her. It just totally contradicts what she said and doesn't make any sense. Diane would do a reenactment um, about what actually happened. And you can see this on Google. All of her interviews and everything she did is on YouTube. Watch them. It's just fascinating how she actually acts in them. But in this reenactment, 
the presenter is doing his bit in front of the camera and she's in the car behind and you can see her looking in the mirror of the car doing her hair and checking her lipstick and she's just laughing and joking all the way through this reenactment now she's reenacting the moment that a crazy man shot her kids and killed one of them and yet she's laughing and joking like it's a day out now there is an audio clip of something she says during that time she's got her um arm in a cast and she knocks it on the side of the car and this is what she says after doing that Now, I don't know if you heard that, but investigators and a lot of people reckon she was about to say, and she just caught herself and stopped herself from saying, that was worse than the time that I shot myself. And if you, if you rewind and listen to it again, you can hear that it does sound like that is what she's about to say. Now, the strangest thing is her remaining daughter, Christy. At this point, she's had a stroke and she can't talk and she can't really communicate. However, what really made investigators suspicious of Diane most was that when she went to visit her daughter, Christy, Christy's eyes would widen and her heart rate would jump right up every time her mum came in the room like she was generally really scared and fearful of her mother and it just didn't make sense why this woman who rushed Christy to the hospital and cared so much about her would get this reaction from her now all the film interviews, as I said, if you go onto YouTube and listen to her interviews, every single one is like the clip I showed you, where she just doesn't really show any emotion at all. Apart from this clip that I'm about to show now, this clip is the only time that Diane would show emotion during her interviews, and it's when she's talking about the fact that people are now starting to point the finger of blame to her. If I had shot my own children, would I not have done a good job of it? Why would I have taken my kids to the hospital? Wouldn't I have made sure they were dead and then cried crocodile tears? That's insane to think that I would do such a thing and then bring the, the witnesses in against myself. That's crazy. You can hear the emotion in her voice then is a lot different from the first clip where she's just talking about what happened. And it's just about her saying how innocent she is and it's crazy that people think she did it. Now, Christy is starting to get better and she's starting to be able to communicate. So the investigators think it's a good idea that she goes and sees a therapist. And the therapist has an idea of getting Christy to write the name of the person that has shot her on a piece of paper and to chuck it into the fire afterwards. The therapist is hoping that 
at some point after doing this, she will decide not to chuck the note in the fire. And it works. One day, Christy writes the name of the person that shot her, her sister and her brother on a piece of paper. But instead of putting it into the fire, she will give it to her therapist. On this piece of paper, it would say, my mummy shot me. Now, this was the nail in the coffin for Diane. This is when they arrested her and charged her. Just before Diane's trial, she fell pregnant again. She claims that she went out and got herself pregnant because she missed her children. The fact that she'd never see Cheryl again and she wasn't allowed to see Danny or Christy. She'd say that although a child can't be replaced, this child would replace the love that her children gave her and that's what she was missing. But a lot of people think that she got pregnant thinking she'd have an easier trial and that she'd get sympathy from the jury. It doesn't work. On June the 17th, 1984, Diane is found guilty of all charges and is sentenced to life imprisonment plus 50 years. They do more psychiatric tests on Diane and they reveal that she's a narcissistic, histrionic and also has antisocial personality disorders. Christy and Danny, her two remaining children, were adopted by one of the prosecutors of the case, Fred Hugie and his wife Joanne in 1984. Diane gave birth a month after her trial in 1984 and called the little girl Amy. Amy was initially put under the custody of the state of Oregon and she was later adopted. Her name was changed to Rebecca Babcock. Rebecca always knew that she was adopted and she did pester her adopted mother about details of her biological mother. She was just told that she was in prison because she did a bad thing, but they'd talk about it when they were older. When Rebecca was a bit older, she pestered her um, babysitter for the name of her biological mother. Now, she sort of made out to the babysitter that she already knew, so the babysitter just told her, but she didn't know at all. The babysitter did say that there was a book about Rebecca's mother. So Rebecca went to a bookshop and picked up the book that she was on about. But she was too scared to read what her mother had done, so put it back on the shelf. It wasn't until Rebecca was 16 and happened to be watching a film with Farrah Fawcett in that what her mother done came to reality she sat down she was watching this film with her boyfriend and the credits start to roll and her mother's name comes up and she watches the whole thing showing exactly what her mother was in prison for so that's how rebecca found out that diane downs was her real mom
July 1987, Diane would escape the Oregon Women's Correctional Centre. She was recaptured in Salem, but not until the 21st of July, so she was out about two weeks. She was then kept at the Clinton Correctional Institution and was sentenced to an additional five years. Diane claims, even to this day, that she's innocent and she has been refused parole twice. Once in 2008, once in 2010. She was supposed to be able to try for parole again in 2020. However, I couldn't find any information about anything about another parole hearing for Diane Downs. And I think because of the year we had last year, it was likely postponed. Um, But yeah, so that is the crazy crazy case of diane downs she basically chose a man over her kids in the worst possible way but you can't ever choose a man over your kids don't forget i have a facebook page i am on instagram and i am also on tiktok i post additional content every day little short videos and i do a three minute case once a week as well so check me out on any of those platforms just search true crime obsessed mum and you will find me i will have another episode for you next week next tuesday yeah i will see you then have a fab week bye